I'm only human after all And you're only human after all Don't put the blame on me Welcome to Ponder Exchange, a podcast about Christian faith and armed service hosted by me, Brother Logan Isaac. First Formation is spiritual exercise for high church lowlifes looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join us every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 8 O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have founded a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, mortals that you care for them? Yet you made them a little lower than God, and crown them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Job chapter 38, verses 12 through 21. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, so that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare, if you know all this, where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness, that you may take it to its territory, and that you may discern the path to its home? Surely you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. First, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. And for this reason I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know the one in whom I have put my trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard until that day what I have entrusted to him. Hold to the standard standard of sound teaching that you have heard from me, and the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. Guard the good treasure entrusted to you, with the help of the Holy Spirit living in us. morning and welcome to the first Friday after Pentecost. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from the Appalachian Abbey in Knoxville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 8, Job 38, and 2 Timothy chapter 1. I think those are mostly continuations from yesterday. I know for Job um, it, it was, and we have God talking to Job. It's the whole chapter and we are reminded here that that God has a bit of 
I don't know, I, I think it's a sense of humor or something like it. He's being sarcastic. God um, begins Job 38 by saying, Where were you when the earth was formed? Surely you know as much as I do. Um, and at the end of this reading, um, the uh, uh, God, I was going to say the narrator, um, God says, Surely you know, for you were born then, and the number of your days is great. Of course, Job was not born at the beginning of time, and he can't tell anyone, much less himself, the way to the dwelling of light and the place where there is no darkness. And he can't enter into the springs of the sea or walk in the recesses of the deep. Um, and it's just this, I don't know, I, I, I take heart in scenes in the Bible where God is so much more we are made so much more like God than we realize. Um, the danger is, is thinking that, well, we are a certain way, and so therefore God must be a certain way. Um, but the reverse is actually sound. Uh, if, if we are a certain way, we can and should ask if God is this way too. Um, and too often we use God to justify our very mortal and very human and very uh, corruptible uh, means of reasoning but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't it doesn't mean that we should ask what about ourselves has remained that uh, God is left with us and certainly um, moral reasoning and language and things that we've historically thought of as being uniquely human and therefore somehow divine because we think that certainly God made us more than many of the other creatures. Um, but I don't think it's inherently a problem to see what clearly looks like sarcasm uh, in the Bible and think, well, sarcasm itself is not inherently bad. It's, it's the way we use it. And in fact, this way that God has of interacting with people is very relatable uh, because we are made like God and God... Um, has allowed us to retain a certain something of God's self like humor or um, anger even. I've been uh, reading um, some lately in, in preparation of putting together another book proposal and um, one of the things I've been reading is the seven deadly sins and where it came from and what they are um, which was a departure from ancient Greece for example um, the the Greek school of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, they didn't talk about vices, they talked about virtues, the things that we do to make us better people, not only to experience a good life, but to, in fact, be good, to become good. Um, and somewhere along the line, somebody switched it. Um, and it looks like it may have been Evagrius Ponticus in about uh, 399, when he wrote about these evil thoughts or evil temptations, and he's writing in Greek, and so most of the Christian world at the time is not really keyed into it. But um, later, about 420, John Cashin takes his Greek evil thoughts and makes them into Latin, and so a lot of people start talking about them more. And then finally, in um, 590, uh, Pope Gregory the First, Gregory the Great, from whom we get the idea of Gregorian chant. 
Gregorian calendar. Um, Gregory also, in his um, commentary on Job, in fact, he's the first one to give us a, a set list of these seven vices. Um, but again, this is something that the Christian church has done differently. And this is also running contrary to, um, for example, something that Augustine would write um, before that, before Gregory, but after Ponticus, Evagrius Ponticus. He writes that sin doesn't really exist. It's a, a lack of a thing, like heat and, and light compared to cold and darkness. Cold and darkness don't exist. They are a name we give for the lack of something, a privation of something something taken away from something. So cold is the lack of heat. Heat actually exists. We can measure it. We can't actually measure cold. We can only actually measure the lack of heat. Just like light, we can't... There's no such thing as non-light. There's light and a lack of light. And we call that lack of light darkness, even though it's really light that we're talking about. And so the Christian church has, um, from very early on, focused on these temptations which don't really exist. Um, sure, they, they practically they exist. We are tempted. Um, but we've gotten away very early on from thinking about what it means to be good, um, instead focusing on how to try and avoid being bad. I think that's, I think that's actually a problem. But anyway, um, and it, it turns out that um, right around the time that Evagrius and Cassian were writing, there was a, a poet uh, by the name of Prudentius, and he wrote something called the Psychomachia. And the Psychomachia is Greek, um, or Psychomachia is Greek for um, soul battle. Uh, Pasukos is um, uh, what you and I would think of as psyche, psychology, psychiatry. Um, and the Greek Pasukos is the same word that in the Hebrew Bible. So Pesukos in the Septuagint, the Greek uh, Bible, um, in Hebrew is ruach, which is breath, which is soul, which is mind. Um, anyway, so Psychomachia is the first time where we get a list of virtues and vices, and they are personified, and um, they are battling, the virtues are battling against the vices. And um, the what I find fascinating about this and what's got me going um, and how it relates to uh, military uh, communities, families, congregations. Um, I, I don't know how I got here from Job, but it just so happens that I did. Um, the, um, the crowning virtues, the, uh, the highest virtue um, for the Greeks was courage. Um, for Prudentius, this Christian poet, the crowning virtue was uh, faith, and her name, or the what he calls her as he introduces her as a character, is pugnatura fides, belligerent faith. Um, and there's something about the, his world and what he wanted to say to his world in uh, 410, I think is when uh, Prudentius writes the Psychomachia. Um, there's something combative about our faith. There's something pugnacious, pugnatura, belligerent about our faith. It is. It does not take up arms. The whole battle is 
this allegory, which is later used in the medieval period for all kinds of weird shit. But um, the very first uh, crowning virtue is faith. Um, but the the only other virtue that is described as a queen, uh, kind of with you know the crown, is humility, and humility doesn't doesn't say a word in the entire poem. In fact, when she goes up against her vice, or the opposite of her, I guess, um, pride, superbia, um, which is also in the Christian tradition, pride has given birth to all the other sins. There's really just one sin, pride. And there's other ways, there's different ways that pride manifests through greed, through gluttony, through, you know, whatever all else. And so um, pride, and this is true of um, Prudentius as well, um, but pride doesn't battle faith. Pride battles humility, and humility doesn't say a word. In fact, humility is helped by hope. So humility and hope are these kind of twin sisters of virtues. In fact, hope does all the talking for humility in the psychomachia. Um, and I think I'm, I got on this tangent not just because I'm reading, but because I'm trying to make sense of our world um, in, in America. Um, I don't remember exactly what day um, President Trump went to St. John's Episcopal Church across Lafayette Square from the White House and held up a Bible um, but I do know that, um, I, I don't know, or I, I do know that that seemed to be nothing but a prop. He didn't make a speech. He didn't read the Bible. He didn't, um, address the clergy there. He just went over there, held up the Bible and took a picture and went home. Um, and there's another picture that it makes me think of, um, uh, George Floyd, uh, who friends knew as Perry, um, was also, um, pictured before he left Houston for Minneapolis. He went to Minneapolis for a job, apparently, and he he um, went through a Christian work program. Um, and this picture of him, he's holding up his Bible, and on his Bible it says uh, George Big Floyd Floyd. Um, and I think when President Trump held up the Bible, it was handed to him by his daughter. Um, reports are that he was holding it upside down. Doesn't look like that because the little red little bookmarks are hanging down. But anyway, um, and surrounding Floyd are friends of his in this ministry that apparently also helped him find a job in Minneapolis. Um, and in the picture in front of St. John's, nobody is beside the president. He's just standing there alone. Um, they both have a kind of confidence, I suppose, in them. Um, but as I said, the president stand, stood alone, and George is surrounded by friends as they both, they each are holding up their Bibles. Um, and uh, there's there's something clear and unspoken in each of those pictures. Um, I don't think what the president displayed was humility. Um, and, and maybe George wasn't all that humble. I mean, he's a big guy. Um, he's spoken of as kind of a, a, you know, teddy bear type, you know, kind of big and imposing, but really kind of a soft center. Um, and uh, I, I think there's, we've gotten, we've forgotten how everything can fall apart by um, by the inability to 
identify and avoid pride. Um, the I don't know what to make of you know what's happening, where we're going. Um, I have hope um, that uh, those who have been humiliated and whose um, quiet confidence um, is too often shattered by um, things that shouldn't be, like prejudice and violence and um, things of that nature. Um, it's Friday, so uh, you won't hear from me again until Monday, except for uh, to read uh, another letter from the life of St. Martin on Sunday. Um, but I, I have faith, um, a kind of um, uh, faith, faith that fails to be cautious, I suppose, a belligerent faith that um, that God is with us in in all this, um, that God is and was with George, even as God was with Officer Chauvin and President Trump, um, that uh, and that faith reminds me, holds me accountable to um, the yeah the hope that although it may not seem it things are getting better or going to get better because that's the way that the universe was created and the universe is constantly um, correcting itself through the, the efforts and um, the, the love of those who, whose humble uh, but hopeful confidence in, in the face of danger and injustice um, continue to get the fuck up and pray with their feet and with their hands, with their hearts, with their, um, uh, with everything that they have to offer, um, themselves as, uh, living sacrifices, scripture says. Prayer for the future of the human race from the book of common prayer. O God, our Heavenly Father, you have blessed us and given us dominion over all the earth. Increase our reverence before the mystery of life, and give us new insight into your purposes for the human race, and new wisdom and determination in making provision for its future in accordance with your will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.